CHP Radio on the Hackers Paradise Podcast Network. iTunes to never miss an episode. Hello, you golfing legends, and welcome back to another episode of the original Off Course. I'm your host, Dan Edwards, and joining me this week, making a triumphant and, and long overdue return, is Mr. Josh Babbitt, uh, also known as JB on the THP forums. Kind of the big guy over there. What's going on? Not too much. Settling into summer and uh, got some traveling coming up. It rocking the classy Arnold Palmer Puma shirt right now. I dig that. Looks good. Yeah, not bad. I'm not big on white polos in general, but this one seems to work. Oh, first tangent of the week. That is, uh, is it Cloudspun or is it Matter? It's Cloudspun. Okay. Uh, obviously, two fantastic materials that uh, Puma's put together over there. I see a ton of white shirts, and I've always been very fond of the presentation, like especially when you get uh, the white shirts, like a lot of uh, activity down. So you have fairly spread out. Would you? What did you say is on there? Like iced tea, lemonade, that kind uh, of thing. Lemons and iced teas. Yeah. Okay, but when they like they really crunch them together, I just got one from Peter Millar that's like uh, skulls with pineapple hats. <laughs> it looks ridiculous. But uh, it's my the first white shirt I bought in a long time because I feel like of all shirts, and this is kind of gross, but easiest to stain on the planet, right? Yeah, it is. And the, the other thing is, you know, if you have some colors in there, not necessarily black or gray or brown or something like that, but you had some colors, sunscreen isn't as big an issue. Yeah. It, it might not be noticeable, but you get sunscreen on a white shirt and all of a sudden you have a yellow shirt or you yeah. have one that looks like you have sweat stains, even though it's from sunscreen. Uh, it's just not my thing. Yes. Yeah, uh, sweat stains on the outside of the arm sleeve makes a lot of sense as opposed to the armpit, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm curious. You might know this better than I do because I've just flat out stayed away from them, but it's been so long. Have, has material improved? to the point where it is a little bit more uh, resilient to that, or is it still a problem? I think so, but it is brand specific. You have a lot of these brands and I'll call them fly by night for lack of a better term. And I, I don't mean that as derogatory as it sounds, but a lot of the guy you'll see them. And it's like, I think last time we talked, we talked about laser companies doing this where uh, three friends from college get together and they're like, let's start a golf apparel brand. And, you know, they're ordering catalog stuff and putting some fun prints together. And the price is better than you might find at a Peter Millar you mentioned earlier, Johnny O, Puma, things like that. Um, and you take a shot. I, in that aspect, no, I don't think the material has changed all that much. You're still, you might still run into some problems. Now, that's not to say that their shirts are junk or anything else. They're not. They're fine. But when you move to something, I don't want to say high end because it doesn't really have to be high end but to brands that put some research into it um, and are constantly creating and trying new things. It's not just the same old, here's a polyester shirt with a tiny bit of spandex or anything added for stretch. There's a little more that goes into it in the structure of the material. So from that aspect, yes, I would say it has improved. Hmm. Nobody can pick up a cloud spun and a Ben Hogan shirt. You're going to find at Walmart, not a knock on that for the money. It's a great shirt and say, oh, wow, these are both polyester. They're the same. <laughs> Does well, that make sense? Yeah, because Cloud Spun is basically cheating. So, <laughs> Yeah, but so it's if you look at the tag, you would say, oh, well, wait, these are kind of the same. But there's nothing further from the truth. They're not the same at all. Yeah. 
Um, I found myself and I I don't have a lot of um, black shirts or pants, but mostly because I've always found them to be the easiest to get hot in, like the way that sun attracts black and uh, picks it up. So I, I tend to wear them more in the winter. Are you like that where you're very selective on your apparel based on the time of year? I think before the pattern shirt became a thing, I was probably more particular about certain colors by season, you know, brighter colors during the spring and summer, more shade. But I think that also has to do with what's released. I think companies are pretty cognizant of that and you get more black, gray and dark blue in the fall and winter. And then you get reds, pastels and stuff like that in the summer. Um, but I do think that the the pattern shirt changes that a little bit. It's also completely killed pattern shorts in a lot of ways. Like yes. Every short has to be standard color now because the pattern shirt has killed plaids or stripes or anything in shorts. There's a lot of truth to that. I, I've, yeah. I've moved away from solids because I went like a decade wearing just purely solids because I had some spicy shorts, but not like loudmouth uh, uh i'm right more like the plaid just your standard the, pattern yeah, yeah materialized yeah and then i realized this year like i'm really getting into a lot of these pattern shirts and and i'm trying to pair them up and you get so busy in your presentation it's like and I, you see <laughs> that guy at the course and you're like god does he not think you like he picks out his yeah. shirt so carefully and it's a brand new shirt and then you look and he's got plaid shorts on with it you're like yeah. oh that doesn't really work uh and especially the guy who comes out with the uh like checkered shirt and then he's got the checkered shorts on you're just like doubling down on a presence <laughs> so Here, i, I can actually thought. share my oh go ahead go ahead my Tell last me. uh my last round of bally hack i wasn't thinking when i packed and I had my shirts all together and I picked my shorts and you know, I try to put outfits together and yeah. I grabbed what I thought was a Navy blue pair of shorts and they were, except they were herringbone pattern. Oh, and then I had a striped shirt with the herringbone pattern and it looked like it just looked absolutely ridiculous. Um, so yeah, you know I what think the truth is those... to that. I think you're looking for an excuse to buy another shirt at Ballyhack. Uh, there, there could be a little bit of truth there. They get expensive though. They do. <laughs> I have a lot of uh, Dormy Network clothing because I try to buy stuff at each course I visit. But uh, yeah, they, you know, they, yeah, I do tend to find a way to buy another one. So I was thinking back to some of my early days on THP. So like 2010, 2011. And I think back then the um, like the tartan style plaid was incredibly mm -hmm. popular in shorts. And that was back when everything was you wore your block shirts and your crazy shorts it's so funny how things change and and now it's kind of into the shirts i'm wondering how long it takes before it gets really back into the shorts again i'm not sure i think we're going to start seeing pattern shorts coming up soon because people still like to wear their plain blue or red shirts um i think the the solid shirts had a lot to do with tiger being you know the solid red um and i do think some of these brands try too hard with the shirts with the patterns like i i think that there's okay it's okay not to have all patterns but it's also okay to not put like i don't need cocks on my shirt and i, I mean that in the bed the, the the chicken i, I don't yeah, need that dancing you. on my shirt like it has nothing to do with golf they at least make it fringe and i'm also and this will probably anger half the people like i'm so in the minority and that i don't get the skull and crossbone thing like i just don't get it i want to understand it i don't get get it at all 
So like the just the skull in general or skull and crossbone? Either one. Like okay. I, I I don't I don't get it. And I know everybody seems to love it. Um and that's cool. That's their thing. I, I don't understand it. I it it's funny. It's not usually my thing, but I have now two Malar shirts that are skulls. One is impossible to see that it is, and the other one has pineapple heads. So I think for me it's more the humor side of it. Um but yeah, from a purely pattern thing, what what I'm surprised really hasn't been around for a bit is like the houndstooth, that profile. I always really like that. Yeah. It, it seems to have stepped away. Yeah, I think that that one's pretty much stepped away. I, I think we'll probably see, you know, fashion so cyclical, we'll probably see that return in some grand fashion, uh, whether it's highlights to uh, shoes or, you know, accents to shorts or something like that. I'm sure we'll see it come back. So I'm I'm curious on your perspective of this because we've we've talked about more traditional styling and then we've talked about some of the crazy fringe new styles. I mean, there's there's plenty of examples out there where you can go and get the brightest and the loudest and 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 put them on display every Saturday and Sunday. But uh, I just had Stitch on last week. It was a really fun interview with Brad, uh, and we talked about just basic, basically staying in their lane while creating a little bit of a, a variance that allows people to be a bit more free in their, their presentation. Uh, and then I saw that they had scripted Bryson last week and, and his apparel. And, and there was some feedback that suggested it wasn't particularly exciting, very bland. Um, but then when you watch the coverage of the major, the open or the British open, depending on who you are, <laughs> uh, it, it seemed like, a lot of guys out there really support that cat, not casual, uh, uh, like laid back presence, not loud in your face presence. There's only a handful of guys that are really trying to play that level right now. Did you get that same thought? I did. Lucky? And I, I think to me, it, it's, I always look at the business side of it first, which I, this is me thinking about the business, not knowing how how the players are thinking about it. I think part of it has to do with logos. You have a lot of logos on you. And if you have a crazy pattern shirt, some of those might not be seen or might clash. Um, I Justin Rose comes to mind when I think about that. And he's got like MasterCard and he's got them all over him. And some of those might clash. The other thing is um, as it pertains to Bryson, I would venture a guess that apparel companies were not beating down the door to sign him. So it, yeah, he's certainly a polarizing player. And I feel like if insert whatever name, this is his scripting. It wouldn't have had the same level of feedback that Bryson has mm-hmm. generated. Um, but I felt badly because really and truly it looked like great scripting. Very, it did very clean, classic. very uh, classic looks. Uh, some blues in there, which I've never been afraid of. <laughs> uh, and, and they also had a the chance. The great quarter zip was fantastic. They also had a chance to celebrate all, basically all the elements with different jackets and uh, uh, quarter zips. That, to me, I feel like the Open might be one of the best places for a company to flex their potential for every weather. You know what I mean? I, I would agree with that. And you know, sometimes it's to the detriment because they can't show off the polos because they're constantly covered up. But I, I would agree with you. And I, I actually, I, I sent a text message to a friend of mine and said that that great quarter zip will be mine. 
Uh, I have a blue one of theirs hanging next to me. I think they make some of the best quarter zips out there in terms of uh, shoulder fit, which is mm. so underthought of in golf apparel. And we're probably boring people to death as we're having this conversation because we didn't plan for any of this. Um, but shoulder fit of shirts and quarter zips is so underthought of because it's so different brand to brand. It is not a one size fits all. And you get those ones that where the shoulder comes so far out that uh, you end up with uh, arms that look too long. And sometimes the sleeves are too long. Um, stitch quarter zips just seem to fit perfectly for most people. Uh, they, they seem to be very well thought out of. And you have worn Stitch for quite a while now. I, I feel like Stitch has been a big part of your closet. Uh, I would say, yeah. So I got into it the same way a lot of THPers did early on. They had a mystery box. Mystery and box, yeah. polos for, for like 100 or $120 or something like that. And I bought it. And then I bought the next one. And I had good success. A couple of people didn't have as good a success with the second round. But I did. Um, and... If they're listening to this on Friday or Saturday, whenever people are listening to it, we have a contest right now, a stitch going on where you get to pick, get a new wardrobe. So that's kind of cool, but neither here nor there. But yeah, I've been on them for three or four years now. Um, and ironically enough, I'm also a fan of their travel stuff. Their ultimate garment bag is simply the greatest bag ever made. Would you say it's the ultimate? <laughs> I, I would say that. The first time I saw it at the PGA show, I turned to Morgan, who was next to me, and I said, I will own this within 30 days. And it, it's just fantastic. I bring it on every trip I go on. Uh, so tell me right now in Florida, it is it like surface of the sun hot? You know, we're at the very north part of Florida on the east coast and only a couple miles from the ocean. So it's warm, but I think the temperature is running around 89. So it's not like 95 or 100 degrees. Um We've had rain. Our precipitation level is higher than I think it's setting records in this area. So the humidity is a little higher than it normally is up in this region. But yeah, it's it's not that bad. Really? Um, I'm always interested. And, and this having who I had on last week, it made me think about while I prefer certain types of apparel companies based on my climate, my experiences day to day here. I have a tendency to change it a little bit when the when it gets into the colder weather months. Uh, and I'm wondering, do you have preferences to what you wear and when in Florida? You know, I don't think I've ever been asked that. And I'm not sure I have an answer. I, I don't think so, but I probably do. So, but you also travel a lot for it as well. And, yes. you know, especially some of the different dormy courses, uh, like Texas, North Carolina, Indiana. There, there's a lot of variety there. Uh, and, and and I'm wondering how much people really play into that because we do have the freedom at this point to pick our material based on where we're playing. I, I actually, whether intentional or not, I have two different styles from a uh, straight down. And one of them feels very comfortable, normal, probably mid, mid, temperature kind of day and the other one just feels like i'm wearing almost nothing like it's so light that the wind's just truly cutting through it and i feel like uh i haven't spent enough time thinking about that but i was wondering from your perspective do you see the value in different types of materials even from the same company based on where they're marketing to or where they're trying to play uh i don't but 
after listening to the interview with Brad, I think they do, but I'm just not cognizant of it. Does that make sense? Yeah, kind of. You know, it's kind <laughs> of like that subliminal marketing where they're definitely telling a story, but um, I'm not sure I, I know it at the time, if that makes complete sense. Well, I, I think a good example here is Puma because they have two prevalent materials there in Cloudspun and Matter. I've always worn Cloudspun because I prefer it. I've never really given Matter a chance because I like Cloudspun so much. And I, and I wonder if they've ever spent the time telling that story like, hey, Matter's really good for this experience. Cloudspun's really good for this experience. Um, you know, I don't think so. Maybe they have and I haven't seen it, but I don't think <laughs> so. But the, you bring up a really interesting point about apparel. Why don't companies do this? Yeah. This is and but okay, let me yeah. dive in a step deeper. Yeah, yeah, is do it, it. Because when it comes to shirts, A, people don't believe technology is real in shirts, and B, they're buying strictly based on the look. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter anything else. Do you think that's part of it? It has to be. I mean, how else do you just casually like the success of some of these mostly online retailers for shirts, big names who release things constantly, different and and you're you're basically buying the presentation more than anything else because yeah, you certainly absolutely. you certainly can't try it on and once it's in your house and you're like oh i don't want to have to deal with returning it and probably got to pay a fee and <laughs> so you just sort of work with it whereas i don't know the other the other side of this was thinking about some of the more lifestyle brands and how they are very specific pieces of their collections that i'm willing to wear purely because they are marketing to a climate that doesn't deal with the same kind of things like humidity, uh, precipitation, cool, like uh, really cold weather. There's a lot of things that, that that don't measure up to what I need here in Ohio. And there, that's a really good point. And I think something that when you were talking to Brad last week during the show that he kind of touched on in North Carolina, they do really hit all the elements. Yeah. And, you know, there's something to that in my head anyway. And it's a crazy place up there. So I'm not sure uh, if anybody really wants to get that information. Not not a safe place. Um, the other thing I was curious about is, have you, have you had a chance to walk through like a full year's worth of lineup? I'm assuming with an apparel company, you see the types of releases they have set up for the next four, five, six, seven, eight drops. And they also list it by the time of year they're doing it yeah i have in fact i think uh you have too you just don't realize it so um to give people some backstory in years past now they have a new office it's been renovated the fishbowl um, yeah <laughs> yeah they always had the next four releases out so mm-hmm. you could see them and it was done by season so i had a chance to see that and and it was fascinating not just the types of apparel that were released but also the uh the colors the way they interacted with the season the way you'd expect it to be or or even the things that are occurring during those seasons like you get into your july early july release and it makes an awful lot of sense to throw a little red white and blue in there you get to your fall release it makes a lot of sense to maybe throw an orange in there or red in there you know mix it up like yeah they really play on the seasons i feel like some of these companies I think you're probably right. And in the end of the day, don't they dictate what colors we want to wear more than us? I I mean, I'll use an example. They always have that Pantone color of the year. Yeah. And then everybody flocks to get it. So, I mean, like, 
companies or people and other people are choosing what we're going to like, whether it's subliminally or not. I'm going to say Pantone blue of the year. That's what I need. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) I I have another question I've been uh, thinking a lot about, and and we see it an awful lot on THP. There's been a big discussion right now about uh, golf balls, whether they know it or not. Uh, The, the, the idea around fitting and my, this is quite the segue. Yeah, I know, but I mean, it's been 20 minutes on apparel. We got to do something. (laughs) (laughs) I'll start it because you wore that uh, Arnold Palmer shirt too. It's your fault. Anyways, there's been a lot of talk about compression and golf balls, but I don't necessarily, I mean, we can dive into that, but I want to, I want to discuss something that sort of runs along that lines that I think people are genuinely afraid to do. And that's really, truly fully investing in a fitting represents the kind of shafts or the kind of golf balls or even the kind of head styles they should be playing. Uh, I feel like that is sorely underutilized, especially considering the availability of it. Do you, do you think I'm being ridiculous or do you think that's pretty fair? Uh, I don't think you're being ridiculous to a degree. Now, what I'll add to that is for the people that are THP forum members who live, breathe, and die with specs of golf equipment. I think that a fitting makes a lot of sense. But there's a caveat there. If you play and enjoy playing golf equipment as much as you like playing golf, do you really want to get fit? Because then it eliminates the need for trial. And trial is fun. And I think there's something to that. So... Trial is an interesting point because we're, that's why I started with the shafts and then mentioned balls and then moved into club heads because as a as a tinker of sorts, and, and you're certainly as guilty as I am, there's a thrill of getting that next new iron head or that next new driver head in play to see just exactly what it does. But no differently than putting tires on a car. If, if, if you're riding around... Uh, it, with slicks on and it's icy, you're not going to get a lot of the, the, the vehicle you're driving. Right. So why would you not get fully, fully understand what shaft works for you? What ball is best for you before you really continue your tinkering? Yeah. And so I agree 1000% with you there and I'll break both of them down in a separate segments. And I can tell you from, for people who have followed this show and listened to it or followed THP, we have done these tests. You specifically have done the golf ball test showing how much difference a golf ball can make. And Mm. we're talking well over a thousand RPMs of spin. And at your speed, should this misnomer and myth that exists that you can't play a lower compression ball because you're going to over compress it is complete nonsense. It works for you. And it could for many others. It does for me as well because I'm a high spin guy. Um, and I think a lot of golfers are because of the level of, of steepness they are coming in. Is steepness a word? I'm not sure. It is going now. back to the shafts, going back to the shaft side of it. I think that a lot of people are caught up with launch angle and spin of a driver shaft or an iron shaft and not how it helps them center the impact, um, how it helps them keep from fighting to get back home. 
Um, and they focus on trying to feel something, which that's not necessarily the best way to go about it. I think data helps because you can see it. Data specifically around impact location can help even further. I kind of go with a hybrid version of that, of I definitely follow data um, in the tech studio, but also I look for firm, I look firmly for the data that helps me center the club face the most. We don't have perfect swings, none of us, nobody does. So what is gonna keep me from fighting it and coming through? And I think that's also why bidding can work for higher handicap players, because despite the continued notion of uh, my swing's not repeatable, I think people would be shocked at how repeatable it really is, especially from the the, the downswing on. So my my contact is not repeatable. Right. I think that's the real, real conversation here. Um, And there could be a product that makes it easier for it to be repeatable. And I want to feed off that a little bit because the last time I got fit for a set of irons, we, we tried a number of different shafts in the same flex pattern. So X flex, uh, but subtly different weights and notably different swing uh, uh, constructions. And it was, brutally obvious within two or three swings whether i could center the club head based on that shaft and yeah and had, it should be within five swings and and if i had to work for that contact that i was making so we we had a baseline we had a shaft that i had been playing for a while so i was very familiar with the timing that it had into the ball um and if i couldn't measure or match that we threw it out um and and that's why i wanted to add this component into it where it doesn't always necessarily have to reflect on the data i think people get really lost on that it's there is a definitive difference between a shaft you can square up and one that just genuinely doesn't work for you yeah do you remember back when i actually had a legitimate driver swing and we did range days at that uh that spot in florida it was really fun we we uh, hit a bit like a thousand shots uh, <laughs> maybe maybe not a thousand but there was one or two shafts out of that set that just really did not work with my swing and we ended up having to yeah. throw out a couple of them because it just it could oh, yeah exactly no matter what work. we no matter what we did it was just it was yeah. it was flawed data but, and i think that that comes back to something that we talk about a lot which is knowing enough to be dangerous in that people see, okay, I want to be at this spin because that seems to help me get it further. And I want to be <laughs> yeah. this launch angle when in reality, um, those don't necessarily work. And I'll relate it to a company and I won't name the company other than it rhymes with ping and say for a lot of times they've had spinnier drivers and heavier drivers. And if you put them side by side, they might not win the distance battle with, with a, another company, you know, for their standard model I'm talking about. Everybody has a lower spin model as well, but for their standard model. But when your golfer got to the golf course and they were hitting a couple more fairways because they were spinnier, did they really care that they were seven yards or six yards shorter than before? Um, and, and all of that, not to say that you should run out and try that driver because you can get that with any company uh, and not have to sacrifice the speed. But it goes back to knowing enough to be dangerous, but possibly not enough to really fine tune where you want to be. Well, I would say fine tuning is a good, is a good lean into the golf ball because if you, if you don't love, if you're like, Oh, I'm 500, 500 RPMs 
short on spin with this particular iron. I mean, you can solve that with a golf ball. I I yes. think personally, no, um, not think it's it's actually it's not an opinion. Yeah. It's fact. So like the idea, and and I've always thought like give me give me a shaft makeup and a and a driver head that promotes the absolute lowest spin possible because spin is my challenge. And if I'm low, low, then for the first time in my life, I can go to a spinnier golf ball and, and it work for my game. But you know, that, that idea that uh, you have to solve everything with one component of, of your, your golf club, I, or, or at least the, the experience of ball shaft head, I, I think needs to be looked a little bit deeper from everyone. They, they don't need, to rely on one component to get exactly what they're looking for, especially when they're banging balls of range balls. <laughs> I'm going to go a, a step further on this with two different things. The first being, I do not believe somebody should be fit for equipment until they've decided on their golf ball. I, I am firmly in this camp. Interesting. It's the one piece you're going to use on every single shot. And as you've proven to me and anybody else who's watched it, the amount of difference between ball is staggering. Um, if I gave you a, I'll do it like this. I'm going to use the extremes from one company and we'll use uh, Titleist Golf because they're the largest of the golf ball companies. If I gave you a Pro V1X and an AVX and said, go do a fitting for a driver or a set of irons or anything else, you would be fit into completely different products based on that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I am a firm believer in that. Now I do believe if you find a product you're absolutely in love with, you love the feel, you love the look, you love the price, everything about it. You want to be with this brand, this and that you can fine tune that with a golf ball to fit yourself. I, I firmly believe that. Now I'm going to take it a step further. For the people that are THPers or golf nerds like you and I, the people who analyze every aspect of grip and shaft and lie angle and head and CG location and everything else, don't buy a golf ball that the company doesn't know what's in the box. Because how are you going to know what's in the box? <laughs> you mean year over year or just specifically that, that box itself? It, yeah, yes. Anytime. <laughs> I mean, if a company is not doing checks on their golf ball and that basically limits you to the bigger names, you have no idea what's in the box. And frankly, that's because they don't know what's in the box. So uh, I think a good example here is is Callaway because they got put on blast for something ridiculous a couple of years ago and proved how committed they were to the quality of their golf ball. And for that, that level of scrutiny that they took to make sure each ball was coming off the line was excellent uh, to, to open the door to play something that does nothing of that nature when they, they approve and accept and box up their golf balls to sell at a, a premium, and I'm quoting, air quoting, premium golf ball at a non-premium price. There, there should be an understanding and a reason that the difference exists between the two balls, right? Yeah, and I I think you can make the case some of it is marketing dollars and margins. I, I think I, I think that's fair, um, but you can also make the case that research and development and facility plays a role. You know, so, if you were just ordering, you and I could start a golf ball company and have golf balls in hand to sell out of a garage in twenty one days with our would, logo and everything else. I would like the record to show that this is exactly what it's like after doing work 
on a daily basis with Josh. Like he, he, he gets his limit of THP things and then it's just pure insanity from there. So I, I love that you're all getting a taste because I know he's thought about this. We've got rangefinder, we've got apparel, and we've got golf balls. I mean, honestly, man, we are not far away from a brick and mortar fully stocked with THP stuff. I'll challenge anybody who's listening to this. <laughs> you can go on Alibaba or fill in the blank site and have your golf ball made. And you could call it Long Bomber 29 um, and run with it. Now, I think that's a horrible idea personally. Um, but if people don't think there's a difference in golf balls, that's great. Enjoy whatever golf ball you want. I just, I'm a big believer in enjoy the game how you want to enjoy it, play the equipment you want to play. But if you are the person who cares about what shaft is in your club, cares about everything down the loft, complaining about what a company does with their loft by a degree or two, give or take a side of it, and then you're going to throw a golf ball in that the company doesn't even know what's in the box, how are you going to know? I mean, that's, that's bullshit. So makes no sense. I had a conversation and I'm going to dumb this down a little bit because it was an easier one to have with my seven-year-old last night. We talked about a specific ball and he says, daddy, why do you hate this golf ball? And I said, I don't hate that golf ball. It, it it's there are materials in it that are good that, however, I swing at a certain speed or I, I, I do things at a certain level that I require or I expect my golf ball to react the same way every single time. Um, and with that in mind, I was trying to explain to him that at some level, your perspective will change, whether that's age, whether that's swing speed, whether that's skill. And I think that's a good reason. I'll, I'll use Q-Star Tour as a great example that is such a good fallback ball for me and a lot of the guys I play with because it is incredibly well-priced. You can find deals on it, uh, and it's a high-quality ball for what you're getting, uh, especially yes. in the price side. And it, it's not to say that you have to buy Pro V1 or Pro V1X every time uh, or ChromeSoft or ChromeSoft X every time. There, there are options below it. I think the conversation is more, what are your needs and can you find a product that suits your needs that is still consistent shot after shot? Have you ever seen a product more confusing to golfers than Q-Star Tour though? It is viewed as a non-premium golf ball when in actuality, we're talking about multiple layers, uh, including a mantle layer, a urethane cover, um, but it's viewed that way strictly based on the price. Price is an interesting piece. And I remember back in the day, we were having discussions about a different manufacturer and how you said they need to raise their price. And I said, yes. I hate that. Um, they are priced very well for premium ball. And it's a big advantage to get that kind of quality at a price that's lower than the the folks who are at the top of the market. And, and you yeah. told me, and I think it makes a lot of sense. They are taking themselves out of that competition by pricing it lower because it becomes the perspective that is a cheaper golf ball. Um, I think the only example where it's really worked was when uh, Chromesoft first came out and they were what, 35 or 39 a dozen. They were yeah. way less than everyone else. And it was like, Hey, come try it and fall in love with it. And we're going to jack it up at some point to match everyone else. We're, at, we're just out here to prove ourselves right now. 
So I think there's a lot to that. I'm going to go a step further with how much price matters. And I don't have this information from Callaway Golf. This is information that was given to me from a retailer. So take it for what it's worth. But for this specific retailer, when Supersoft, which is, I believe, still the number one selling golf ball out there, when that came out at 1999, um, it sold well. Uh, I think at the time, the Duo was the number one selling two-piece ball. Uh, there might have been a couple others in there. Um, Callaway made some tweaks to the product, and they raised the price to $21.99, and it immediately shot to number one for this retailer. <laughs> I, I specifically remember it going to $22 and thinking, yeah. huh, what is it now, 24 or is it still 22 I, I don't know. Okay. Um, I but know every- that... Uh, everything has kind of gone up a little everything's bit. just so. creeping yeah but I, I i specifically remember that and and i had interesting conversations about chromesoft about you know the idea that you have an awful lot to prove but as soon as someone puts it in the bag it's like okay this makes a lot of sense and then next year when the price goes up they've decided that's their ball and it's a good play so from a from a shortening stance i, I think it is an interesting thing and I want to ask you about something else too, because there's a there's a different way to sell a cheaper golf ball, and that's to say buy two get one. I mean, Srixon's doing yeah. that still. Uh, I think Titleist did it at the start of this year, but it was like buy three get one. That is mm-hmm. such a that's such a cheap way, <laughs> and and I love it because I, I take take advantage. You know, that's a it's a good price. Is is this a way for companies to create? better value for their product without pricing it below what people are willing to pay? Uh, maybe I, you know, this would be honestly be a better question for them. And maybe we'll get a golf ball person on the show coming up for you to, you can ask that specifically in my opinion. Yes. I think it does two things. Number one, you're buying a large quantity of golf balls that will last you a while. And you might become, you might play your best round and become addicted to that. Ideally. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Number two, I think there's a little to be said about um, stocking up. I don't think enough golfers do it. I still think most golfers, it, it's why I've always said that I don't believe the golf ball subscription model will work. And it has nothing to do with that being a bad idea. I think on the surface, it makes a ton of sense. But golfers do not think they lose as many golf balls as they do. Therefore, they always go into the pro shop and just buy them because they're out. And telling a golfer that they need two dozen every month will has historically failed at every opportunity. So um, I, I just I, I've never understood why golfers don't support it, but in general they don't. I think part of it is also a lot of golfers wait for the the sale, um, and they go with that. So I, I don't know. I don't have the right answer. But in my mind, it creates some brand loyalty. Yeah. Well, I, I do you stock looking, up during them? Oh, absolutely. What when I think about and and Strixon's a good example because I had I happen to have a number of dozens of uh, Chrome Soft from the event I got to experience last year, the Goat Cup. So I, I didn't take advantage of this buy two get one this year, but all three of my regular playing partners took huge advantage two of them bought q star tour and the other one who needed some more spin went z star uh, because it's such a good deal uh even my dad went in on it. actually 
I'll, I'll correct myself. I did take advantage. I bought for my dad and for my wife because she got the soft fuels, which were also a good price. So, um, yeah, I, I think um, to me, if you, I'm trying to trying to put this in my own perspective. If I go to a store and I see, I don't know, Chrome Soft for the same price, it would be like buy two get one but discounted to that individual number. So like 35 a dozen or whatever it is, 39 a yeah. dozen. I don't think I would jump. But when you see the... Yeah, because you would look at it as uh, there must be something new coming out. Yeah. Or it, it didn't. It hasn't been a success. That's just how it's viewed. Whereas the buy two, get one doesn't view that way at all. So Marketing you, is in every facet of our lives. You, you hide the math in the get one free. And I like free things. You know, I, I'm incredibly cheap on some things which is weird but i feel like it's a good way to convince people they're getting a great deal when they're really just getting a good deal yeah i think that's probably true <laughs> i'd be curious we we always have a thread on thp when these go live i know this is gonna be a conversation point i want to hear people's thoughts on why and what and how they buy their golf balls are they one of the crazy people that go at the turn and just say, give me a dozen of whatever and let me know how much it is. Or do you shop? Do you wait for a deal? Do you do you pursue different options? What what what's the point? Or are you the play? guy who just has one ball? They play one ball. I urge everybody, whatever golf ball you're playing, play one ball and stick with it. That's asking a lot. It is, but you... <laughs> it's smart, but it's asking a lot. I have I have one more segue. Uh, even though I'm, I'm okay. really enjoying this conversation about golf balls. There's one thing I really want to talk about being that we just finished watching the open or the British open, depending on who you are, the vitriol that came from the design of the 17th. It was a par three. I don't think it played longer than 132 yards for the week. Uh, I don't think it was ever harder than I think it, the lowest was fifth, ninth, 11th, and maybe 13th from a difficulty standpoint. Uh, and the amount of uproar and m madness that came from the design was palpable to the point where I think I read something the other day. They're already talking about changing the entire design of the hole to accommodate it. What are your thoughts on that? Did, did you read? First of all, did you see all that? And second of all, yes, I think the first one I saw was Fitzpatrick. Um, not surprising. He was complaining. He seems to do it a lot. Um but I think overall the complaints about course design are nothing new. It's always going to be there, but this whole particular in particular, really I found fascinating to me because if they held this at TPC sawgrass, nobody would complain about the 17th hole, which is an Island. You can't miss anywhere. Yes. Make this just surround this with a boat and nobody complains at all. I understand so, the complaints that the bunkers were extremely challenging. And if you, the false front was ridiculous, was crazy hard. Um, but that's part of it. It, it. You know, you're talking about guys that have pinpoint accuracy from 130 yards. So your choices to make something challenging at a par three are make it an Island, make it surrounded by hazards or make it a ridiculous length, at like 230 yards that most people would have to hit driver to get to. They chose the former and made something that is essentially an island hole. 
So the false front's interesting because by design, that's not crazy. And I'm thinking about, is it Briggs Ranch that has the par three that is basically the entire front edge is just disaster if you miss? Which, yeah. Yeah. So it, it's not necessarily no, it's Arbor Link. Arbor Link, sorry, yeah. Uh, it's not necessarily design as it is condition. You can have a false front that it's not impossibly punishing, but it is punishing. And, and from a par three perspective, I think about my third hole at my golf course is a par three. Um, and when you play on the front side of it, the hole left and long is dropping off. So you have a really challenging chip sloping down and then short is okay, but short right, which is effectively not quite the middle of the green is in water. So in truth, there's no good place to miss on that hole, really. Uh, no differently than there would be on the 17th here. But conditionally speaking you don't hit the green and then slowly trickle off so that's more of a conditioning thing right yeah i think so you know valley hack has and it's not a par three it's a par four but the 14th <laughs> which has the false Maniacal, front yeah um now they've grown that in and when asked why because i loved the false front watching people go back and forth it, it came down to pace of play like you yeah know, you, you watch guys go back and forth seven times and throwing clubs and stuff like that you gotta you gotta speed it up but at this level i i i thought it was perfectly fair and it could have added some major excitement if Harmon wasn't in this commanding lead and dominating he played ridiculously good golf could you imagine the stack up of what do we have six guys all tied yeah like seven or six yeah yeah and all of a sudden you're like this guy could make double here that that constant threat yeah and it and it what, what adds I, something to it to me that I think sometimes golfers need to remember that it's still entertainment and that matters. So uh, what I don't understand is why they feel the need to modify the hole. And, and I know Fitzpatrick's six is a big story. What isn't a big story yeah. for some reason is the two birdies he made on each side of that six. So in the other two rounds. So he made a par, well, two birdies, and a You triple. don't hear golfers ever complain about it, of course, being too easy, except John Rahm who has openly been critical of designs that are nothing but bomb and gouge in a putting contest. Yeah. Um, so to me, that's like, you're, you're missing a big part of that. He had, he hit one into the uh, sand dune and then hit a second one into the sand dune. They hit another one in the bunker. Like he got treated the way he should have. And if you want to make that easier for locals, do the same thing that uh, our friends at true blue did, where if you hit in the water, they put, the drop area quite literally on the fringe and it's like yeah okay, it's on the fringe behind the green now what <laughs> you know yeah but and, and to be fair sawgrass does that too yeah so oh for local for the regular play yeah i mean they still have a drop zone but they also have an area because you know they have a guy out there telling people yeah. stop taking selfies and play freaking golf <laughs> there's also an area behind the green where if things get challenging let's say you're supposed to go up there and finish the hole so it, it's hard not to be critical of all this angst that comes through it. And, and what is upsetting to me is there's all this discussion about how we fix golf design, save courses, shorten, blah, 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 uh, change the ball, change the club. And you finally have a hole that really challenges golfers and they're terrified of it. Like what, how, how is this not, a blatant example where course design is simply becoming a bit benign. Well, I think um, part of that is it's really twofold. So 
you could fix all this by having Augusta National design all courses because outside of one or two golfers, they never complain about a bad bounce there, ever. But the fear of not being allowed back would be enough to do that, except for Terrell Hatton, I guess. Right. Um, <laughs> I To me, this was a perfect example of showing that the ball, rolling the ball back isn't necessary and that you can do enough with design to make things super interesting especially to the 99.9% of golfers that have no concerns with that. I understand the argument that high school and college golfers that are groomed from the beginning all hit the ball a mile. It's all going to be bomb and gouge, and that's going to be the end of golf courses as we know it. It doesn't have to be. I, the old argument of, well, just make the, gra- make the course play not as fast doesn't really work as well anymore because these guys will shred it with pinpoint accuracy. There's ways around it that can work, but I don't think making everybody slightly shorter is the fix. How about a pot bunker at 300 yards on every single hole? Or narrowing it. Yeah. You know, (laughs) I mean, you can narrow the fairway there and then you don't have this problem. Um, I don't know. There's, there is an issue with these youngsters coming up and how hard they hit it with current golf courses. But it's not to the extent of let's roll back manufacturing of something and stifle technology. That doesn't make any sense to me. So when it comes to watching, when it comes to watching a par three on tour, and and again, I'm going to ask everyone who's listening, who likes to participate in the conversation, please share with me in the thread we create or on social media. uh, do you enjoy watching holes like the 17th where it's 120 yards, 130 yards over a hole that's a par three that's 270 yards? Which is more curious to you? Um, for me personally, I think so. Uh, you know, I still go back to the most iconic hole in golf is TPC Sawgrass 17. It's not the best hole in golf. It's not even really the most interesting hole in golf. But the nerves and the failure that every golfer on the planet can relate to as it pertains to a 130-yard hole and shaking as you're about to hit it are what makes it so amazing. That doesn't necessarily have to have the most severe sloped green or you know anything else. It's just a shot with trouble everywhere as every golfer in the world has come to. And that's what makes it so great. And this course was so well done in that design for this. Were you satisfied with the the major? Yeah, I think so. I, I, I Brian Harmon's not the most interesting guy, um, but if we're looking for that, you know, I don't necessarily think that's that should be a precursor to winning. Do you like uh, internal OB? Uh, no, that's one area where I, I'm not a fan. But I'll take that over the constant free drops that are given at the tour level for grandstands and everything else. Like, I, I'm I was, sorry, you hit the, you hit it off the planet. That's not a free drop. I was pretty entertained by all the guys who were just straight up blasting it dead left on 18 and just like, Hey, at least it's not right. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, they're all human too, but overall I thought it was really well done. I also think it showed that you don't have to have a major, uh, played at eight o'clock at night to have people tuned in and enjoying it. Um, but yeah, I, I'm sad that the major season is over. We still have, it's a Ryder cup year. So we still have the Ryder cup to look forward to. I'm skipping right past the FedEx cup playoffs. I don't care. 
Um, I have to care because it's my job, but I genuinely don't care at all. Uh, I always love when you come on, man. I, it's been way too long. I need to get you on here more. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to do it. Do you, uh, any questions for me today? I do. Okay. And I followed this, this saga of your golf and you know, you, it's, it's summertime there and you're getting to play more and this and that. I'm yeah. going to ask you what everybody else wants to know. When are you going to film more videos in the tech studio? Oh, that sounds like a lot of fun. ASAP? When is a, as ASAP as possible? <laughs> Probably right after this next series of events. We've got they a wanted, lot they, of... Um, it's been requested a lot. So That is true. We had uh, a really solid chunk of time going on there. Um, but we also need to do some brainstorming to see what people are really clamoring for right now. Yeah. What do you guys want to see? That's a good point. I, I, my gut feeling is the answers will be changing as of next week. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. They'd like to, uh, they'd like that the information that's coming next week. Yeah, I wonder if we can start to uh do a little bit more with shafts. Maybe kind of the same thing we're doing with golf balls, maybe start looking into some shafts and really showcasing the difference. Interesting. Probably can. I why think that'd we, be interesting stuff. Why don't we take this offline as they say in the biz? <laughs> Sounds good. All right, my friend. Hey, enjoy uh enjoy some of the travel you got coming up. I know it energizes you for the next things to come. There's some very exciting things going on for TH peers. Now, as you mentioned, there's a contest going on with stitch, which sounds really cool. So go and check that out uh, on any type of THP social or even on the forum. And uh, yeah, as always, Josh, I appreciate you, man. Happy to be here. Hey, if you're playing golf this weekend, have a good time, make it count, fix your damn divots uh, or the kids that are in front of you that aren't fixing theirs. Uh, and we'll see you next week. THP Radio on the Hackers Paradise Podcast Network, your number one source for all things golf. Subscribe on iTunes to never miss an episode.